Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The coolest thing happens when you overcome fear, right? When you're afraid to do something that God wants you to do, when you go ahead and do it anyway and you see what God does afterwards, you'll never be afraid in the same way that you were before you stepped out. That as much as there was a fear when I didn't know, what you become aware of every time you overcome fear is how faithful God is, how God shows up every time, how God has been with you each time. Every time you step out over fear, you see that God is faithful. The Bible says over and over again, do not be afraid. But when the Lord calls you to do something that terrifies you, it's easy to forget what the Word of God says. But in today's message, Pastor Bill encourages you to not be afraid. For one of the greatest things to happen when you overcome fear, you discover God to be faithful every time. For when you step out, God always steps in. So have faith and trust Him at His Word. In the name of Jesus, you can do what seems impossible. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. And so Paul says, look, I came to you guys. I was in fear. Paul had, there were threats of persecution. Paul had persecution from both sides. Paul had the Jews that he used to run with persecuting him. Then there were even factions and segments of the church that were against him. And so Paul had it coming from both directions. Everywhere he went, he had that to overcome. There are very real threats upon his life because of the, the level of ministry that he did. And so he said, there was, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. And again, I read that and I think, wow, like I understand fear. I, I anybody here has ever been so afraid you trembled, you know, like, ooh, just, I, I mean, this was not no light level. Like, I'm kind of scared. I don't know. I'm nervous. This was fear, you know, fear for your life, fear for your physical well-being, fear like a, a group of gangbangers got you in a corner and they're coming down. And it's like that fear paused that I was in fear trembling even. But I got there, but I still made it. And I would just ask all of us. If there's anything that you are called to do, but afraid to do, is there any area of your walk, your life, your spiritual being where God has put something in you to do and fear has been a hindrance? I encourage you to just overcome it, just obliterate it, just step out over it. The coolest thing happens when you overcome fear, right? When you're afraid to do something that God wants you to do, when you go ahead and do it anyway and you see what God does afterwards, you'll never be afraid in the same way that you were before you stepped out. That as much as there was a fear when I didn't know, what you become aware of every time you overcome fear is how faithful God is, how God shows up every time, how God has been with you each time. Every time you step out over fear, you see that God is faithful. But when you don't step out because of fear, you never get to see God move. And that's where a lot of believers are. I never see God do miracles. You don't ever do nothing where God needs to show up at. Right. There are people I've never seen God do nothing miraculous because you're never in a position where he needs to. You do as much as you can do and you stop. But sometimes God, many times the things God calls us to do, there are things that if God doesn't show up, they won't work. And that's why it's scary. It's like, man, God, this if you're not in this, it won't go. And God's like, OK, go do that. Trust me. See what I do. It's scary. It's a scary thing. I can tell you guys planting this church it was a scary thing. It was scary. That first few months. Now, I left a church that's considered a mega church, more than 10,000 members. 
I did a high school ministry with like 300 kids. I mean, I didn't bring them there. They were there because just by by virtue of the fact there's that many adults there, there were that many kids, you know, but that was doing the ministry. And it was like, well, leave that and come over here and you're going to plant Calvary Chapel Inglewood. And for you guys that were here in the beginning, we were at Morningside. And I remember, I still remember, I remember the first service. It was like, is anybody going to come? I'm out on Facebook sending messages to everybody. I was like, it was a scary thing. You know, like it was, it was a very scary thing to like, Man, what if this doesn't go? What if nothing happens? What if we do all of this? I've already left my job. I'm, I mean, what if, what if nothing happens? What if nobody comes? And so that first Sunday, I think God just encouraged me. He sent all these friends from other churches that I know. They were like, oh, they're playing the church. We're all going to come. So the first Sunday, for you guys that were there, it was like, like 80-some people. It's like, hey, man, we got church. You know, like, this is awesome. It's going to be great. But after a couple weeks, when everybody that came to say, yay, you know, went back to their church. And I looked out and it was like, my wife, (laughs) my kids, a couple other people that, you know, it was a handful of really close friends and family. And so then again, it was like, man, God, are you you in this? I didn't want us to do this. And it was it was a battle. I tell you, every Sunday I went there, I battled. And more times than going, it was when I left there that I would battle. You leave and it's just, man, I, I, I remember one week saying this. I'm like, God, everybody here, I don't think anybody was from Inglewood that was there. Everybody from here drove to Inglewood from somewhere else. They could all just be at another church. Like, we're not, I'm not, we're not impacting Inglewood yet at that point. And I was all, you know, I was in my feelings and everything else. And, and I remember going and praying and God was like, but, but what did I say? And God just took me back to his word. I said, do it. I didn't say how. I didn't say it was going to be blow up. I didn't say you got a million people. I just said, do it. So you'll be there next week doing it. Study, get ready, do it again. And over time, see God show up. And I can tell you guys, my wife and I have sat up at times just speaking about certain people, looking at faces, looking at people, people that either got saved or people who, you know, are, are, are they're growing. They're being discipled. They're being ministered to. And it's like, man, it, it's it's so worth it for what God is doing. It'd be a lie to say there weren't points where it was like, man, it's scary. I could be somewhere safe, but I don't think it's what God have. Like this is this. It is safe to be in the will of God, but it's scary. You got to have faith. You got to trust God. I got to believe that God's going to do things I don't see yet. And so what I can tell you is that it's, it's very adventurous and exciting. One thing that my life is not is boring because every week there are things that I'm like, man, we need God to do this. We're looking for the Lord to take care of this. And it, it, wherever it's at, it's like, man, I need God. And I wonder sometimes if God didn't put me in a position where I was just going to need him. So I'll stay close. Um, but I absolutely sense the need for him. So moving on, Paul says that his speech and his preaching were not with persuasive words or human wisdom, not because he wasn't wise and not because he couldn't use persuasive speech, but he had decided, he had chosen that he wouldn't come with those means, that he wouldn't use human means of gaining people because if you gain people through human means, then they can be lost through the same thing. It's been said that whatever you use to draw people is what you will draw them to. So if you draw people through eloquent speech, you've drawn them, they're drawn to eloquent speech, not to the Lord. What we want to be careful is I want to draw people to Jesus so that we've drawn you to the one that you need to be with. You need to be with him. Jesus is the draw. And so I'm cautious in my proclamation of the gospel. I hear some people preach a gospel that sounds like this. You know, whatever your problems are, you know, if you just come to Christ. He'll take care of your financial problems. He'll take your your marriage will be better. You know, your work situation, everything that's terrible in your life, it'll be better when you just come to Jesus. How many of you guys have heard a gospel like that before? All right. 
Don't that sound good to everybody here? Right? If you broke right now, Christmas time, if, if I come to Jesus, all my problems, my money going to be right. I'll be the first one down. You know, if I come to Jesus, you got a jacked up marriage. And it's like, if you just come to Christ, he'll fix it. That, that husband that's a loser, he is going to become a man of God. You know, that wife that's all jacked up, she is going to become this submissive, sweet little marshmallow. It's just going to be great if you just come. That's great for someone in a stressful marriage. It's like, really? I'm coming today. You got terrible kids? Oh, man, just come to Jesus. And God's going to apprehend every single one of your kids. Oh, oh, they'll be so good. Oh, straight A's. Oh, you'll be so proud. Really? That one too? Yeah. And you use that as a draw. What happens when people come to that? And it's not true, right? The Bible doesn't promise that. So when you come and your husband or wife is still acting up, who you think failed you? Jesus failed me. I tried Jesus. I got saved, went to church, even gave a couple dollars. And I'm still broke. I want my money back, you know? I mean, it didn't work. You know, you were drawn to the wrong thing, but this is it, right? If I tell you, is this the truth, this is the real gospel, that you're a sinner, you broke commandments, God's holy. God judges sin. If you die in sin, you will go to hell, the Bible says. But God loves you. So he sent Jesus to come down on a special mission to live the perfect holy life that you and me couldn't live. Die in your place for your sins and your crimes. Take it all upon himself. Pay the penalty in full and completely exonerate you, make you right with God, put you back in proper relationship with God the Father. So when you die, you will not go to hell but you will go to heaven. And for the rest of your life on earth, you will have a relationship with the living God that you can pray to him and he will speak to you. Do you want that? If I draw, if you're drawn to that, if you come saying, I want that, I want, I want to be in relationship with God, I want my sins forgiven, I want to be able to be in contact with God, then you come to something that'll be there. You, you, you've entered into a relationship with the living God and he will be there. He will hear your prayers. He will speak to you through his word and you will go to heaven when you die. Now I've drawn you to Jesus. Now the big deal is Jesus. That's the right way to do it. So we have to be careful though because sometimes what ministers do is give people what they want. Um, I'm, I don't want Jesus. I want. I need some money. I need some right now. And I can't offer you that right now. I can't promise anybody here that if you follow the Lord, all these other things, I don't know how that's going to work out for us. You know, for everybody is different. I know some broke Christians. <laughs> they love they go to heaven, though. You know what I'm saying? Where the streets are paved with gold. But right now they broke. Um, it's, it's, it's what it is. You know, it's, it's, I can't promise you like if you just come to God, you know, that's not true. That's not right. I know Christians that they love the Lord and they struggle with their flesh and the marriage is struggling, but they're going to heaven. I don't want to mislead people. So Paul says, look, I, I determined I'm not coming. I'm not I'm not drawing you with anything but the truth. I want you to come to Jesus for who he is. When you come to Jesus for who he really is, what happens over time is that the depth of appreciation for Jesus grows. I, I just appreciate that the longer I live and the longer I walk with God, I am thankful that I was selected. I'm thankful that God woke me up, that he opened my eyes to the fact that I needed him. I'm glad I know him now. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad I'm not blinded. I spent some years in my life where I was blinded to the fact that I was going to hell. I remember a season of my life where I would say to people, if I die, I want to go to hell. I cringe now that I said something that God didn't just let me, okay, you asked for it. I'm glad he's not like that because I said those words. I told people. You know, if I die, I want to go to hell. And I have my reasons, you know. In my mind, hell was like, that's for all the freaks to be. That's for all the people with beer. We'll be in hell partying and having fun. I, I thought it just, you know, that's my, my mindset as a non-believer that if there was a hell, 
that's where all the people that I know will be. And that's where we're going to be down there, you know, turning up, having a great time. I thank God that he didn't let me die and realize that hell is a place of outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and fire and brimstone and torment forever and ever and ever. You can't get out because I didn't understand that. I thank God I didn't die. So the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I study my Bible, the more I get to know spiritual things. I'm more thankful today than I was in October of 1995 when I first got saved. I was happy then. When I first got saved, I was happy that I was saved. But I'm more thankful now. I appreciate it more now. My understanding is greater now. But the thing that God called me to in the beginning is the thing I'm still going after now. It's just Jesus. That's it. In 95, when he saved me, it was because it was the awareness that I would go to hell if I died. I'm more aware now and I'm more thankful that I won't go. So as much as we want to be careful in our proclamation of the gospel that we don't draw people to something that's not true. I would also this I'm teaching this to us because maybe you're here and you were drawn to that sort of proclamation of the gospel and you've been disappointed. I hope we clear it up for you. I hope that it's cleared up. I hope you understand that we come to Jesus because our issue is we got a sin problem. And we need to be forgiven. That's why we come. That's what Jesus offered. And so many times when people are mad at God because he didn't do this for them or he didn't do that for them. Many times you find that people are mad at God for not fulfilling promises that he never made. You know, I'm mad at God. You know, I, I can't come to God because he let me. He let this happen to my mother. He let somebody close to me die. He let my child die. He let me have this physical ailment. He let this happen. He let that happen. And I understand those things are painful and they hurt and everything else. But. If I get mad at God for allowing things that he never said he wouldn't allow, uh, if I misunderstood, you know, what God came to do, then what happens to some people is they'll be mad at God for something he didn't promise and not take advantage of him for what he did promise. There are people that are mad at God for some death of a family, some, some hardship that they've gone through, so they won't receive what he did promise, which is forgiveness and salvation. And there's blood on men's hands because some of that is because people have preached the gospel wrong. Other of that is just a misunderstanding of who God is and what he came to do. So we want to be clear on those things. God didn't come to promise me a great life. Everything would be honky dory, so forth and so on. Even though we would all love that, he died to save us from our sins. Amen. And that is the gospel. And that's what we want to know. That's where the power is at. That's why Paul says, you know what, man, I'm, I didn't come to Corinth and it is sinful as all get out. I declare to know nothing over here except Jesus Christ, him crucified. That's all that y'all need. That's what's going to make the difference. Jesus Christ, him crucified. Moving on. Look at what he says in verse five. The reason that he didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom. But he says, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, he said that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we don't know what the demonstration of power is, but obviously it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, look, I didn't come doing it myself. I didn't come with tricks and theatrics and some human, some some persuasive words of human wisdom. But he said there was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And this is what I would say. We live in an era where church has become for many people. They're entertaining people. They're they're meeting people in a human way. And how so entertainment is, is something that your humanist will enjoy. It could be entertaining. It might be music. It might be all these entertaining things that are happening, but not much is happening spiritually. There's not much demonstration of the spirit and his power. And so what a lot of churches have forfeited is rather than God's demonstration of God's spirit and God's power, there's so much 
meeting people in a human place. That that's what church becomes. And some people get used to that. that we didn't have church if we didn't shout. If I didn't get in my motion real good, if I didn't hear, the, you know, and they, the church is all, they got the music going. So the music to where I'm, I'm, this music is to bring them down, bring them down. I'm going to say something real, real deep right now, real deep. You know, then then I get them, get your motion over here. Then I got my funny over here. Then bring the music and let them like really get a slap and dance. And, you know, and, and, and then they've had this whole experience before they left. And we'll forfeit a real demonstration of the spirit's power for those things, just some physical exercises. I don't, I don't hate good music. I ain't mad at somebody that likes to dance and, you know, but, but I'm saying when it comes to this thing, this is not what this is about. And so we want to be careful of that because there, then there are people that demand that, right? I don't believe God moved unless the men were moving, you know? I don't believe the preaching was anointed unless you screamed it a certain way. So you can't just speak and the speech is anointed because God's spirit is in the, his word. I got to say it a certain way. There's a certain kind of way to speak anointedly. And so there are whole movements where men speak like this, but then when they get behind the pulpit, they speak like that because that's supposed to be, that's what anointed speech sounds like. Now, well, come over, you know, and, and I've been in a church where they were trying to train us up to do some of these things. And I remember just being, I, I remember what I said and I'm so in my immaturity then I was, I was immature and I guess just immature enough and a little bit of pride. But, but I was right. I still stand by it today. But I, the way I maybe did it was wrong. But they sent us into a, a minister's training. What may have been the most arrogant minister that I, I could even think of. And he had all these rules about ministry. You don't go into the pulpit without your coat. So I need a coat? Paul didn't have a coat. That's, that's what I was thinking back then. I'm like, I don't think, Paul was my person. I don't think Paul had a coat. But okay. And then he critiqued you know, you did a message, he critiqued it, and he wanted us to hoop. How many of you guys know what hooping is? All right. For y'all that don't know, hooping is what a lot of traditional churches do at the end of the service so that it don't sound boring is, and they just, they sing out the words. And Paul says, come down, and then, and everybody's like, they, everybody's shouting and moving, and just, it's that time of the service, whatever. So he said this. He said, son, you, you need to come on up into the hoopalistic class and I, I and I remember just saying like well where is that in the bible I read the sermon on the mount Jesus didn't hoop I understood every word you know I read it I'm reading Paul's sermons Stephen's sermons they, they just spoke it and it was powerful but and I remember just told him I said, I'll never do that I will not do that I won't because it wouldn't be me I would be so fake I couldn't do it and I remember one of my minister buddies he tried it and it was so awkward. It was so weird. Like, you, for you guys that know me and we talk and we speak, everybody knows how I speak. This is who I am. It would be weird if I got up here and it's like now my minister voice. Well, good morning today, children. It would be weird. It would be weird. Would it be weird? I hope it would be weird to y'all. Like, that would be wrong. That would be fraudulent. But there are whole movements of the church where that's what we're expecting. And so we, we don't want to do that, right? Paul said, look, I, I'm, I'm removing myself so far so that there would be a demonstration of the spirit and his power. Like, I'm leaving room for God to show up. If something powerful happens, I want it. This is the thing, like, it, say you come and you sit and you listen and God, through the word, ministers to you. And it, and it ministers to you. So, I mean, God supernaturally, by his spirit, through the word, speaks them to your heart, you're ministered to. When you leave and you can share this with someone else, who's the big deal? God. 
You can go back and reread it. You can say, man, the spirit really ministered to me that we were going through this chapter. and They didn't know that I was going through this, but we're going through this right now. They show up and they just talked about this from the word today and it was in the word. And so the focus is not on me. It's on the word. But if you get some joker that can really, ooh, you know, boy, he preached. Boy, what did he preach? Ah, but he preached. I don't know what he preached on, but he sure preached. I ask people that, you know, oh, man, oh boy, it was so good when he preached today. What did he preach on? What was it about? Oh, and they have to they have to draw that back. They can't even remember what the message was. But boy, he preached. That was a fail. Right. That's that's not the way it's supposed to be. So anyway, I'll move on from there. Paul didn't do that. Paul said, I wanted to be a demonstration of the spirit, his power. So the glory goes where it belongs to the Lord. God's ministering to people. God's word is penetrating hearts. Moving on now. He said in verse five that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why you wouldn't leave with your faith in me, but you would leave with your faith in God, having having experienced his move, his power. Now it says in verse six, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So Paul says, I'm not putting down wisdom altogether. We do speak wisdom, but we speak it to those that are mature. So to non-believers, to those outside, they need to experience God's power. I'm going to preach the gospel and pray that God supernaturally meet them where they're at. Who do we speak wisdom to? We go deep. Who do we go deep with? We go deep with believers, right? You get a believer that's been walking for a while. We, we should be able to go deeper in, in the word. We should be able to have a, a deeper discussion in the things of the word, the things of God. If you're writing notes, write down Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. And I don't have time to go to it, but I'll summarize it. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul, but he tells them there, man, when I came to you guys, you guys were immature. You guys were still on milk, spiritual milk. Um, you guys should have been on meat. You guys should I should have been able to go deeper with you guys than what I've been able to do. And then Paul explains how a person can mature. How do I become mature in my walk with the Lord? How does someone grow to a place of spiritual maturity? And there's a key he puts it out. And I'm going to read it to you guys now. Uh, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. It says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So some people are saved, but they're spiritual babies. And just milk, just the light things, basic doctrines. That's, that's as much as that. As far as they're going to be able to go right now. And that's OK. Uh, we want to grow beyond that. But for some people, just when they're starting out, everybody was a babe at some point. You just want to be saved for 20 years. And still be classified as a babe. That would not be good. Then he tells us how maturity happens in verse 14. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The key to maturity is those who it says those who by by use. Right. Those that not only know the word, but they're using it. Those that are living by the word. That's how a person matures. Greater knowledge of the word won't bring maturity. It'll just bring greater knowledge. But when you take what you know and you use it, right? I learned that about marriage. Now I'm doing it. I learned that about being a man. I'm doing it. I learned that about that particular area of my life. Now I'm doing it. God says you live like that. And after a while, you'll be considered mature. You'll be someone that's mature in your faith that can go deeper. Someone that's hearing and and doing the word. So moving on now, verse Seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Oh, and I'm sorry, I left out something in verse six. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
I believe the rulers of this age is speaking about that same phrase is what Paul uses to speak about the demonic realm, the unbelieving realm. So the rulers of this age are, I believe, again, the Bible says that Satan is a prince and power of the air. John 12, 31. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. First Corinthians touches on how the city of Corinth was rampant with idolatry and immorality, not too different from cities of today. Does this mean that you run away and isolate yourself from the sinful world? No, but Paul's letter did communicate that as a Christian, it's important to live a life that's upright and pure before God, even in the midst of a dark and sinful world. When the pressure is great, your opportunity to contrast the dark with light can be even greater. How does one do this with all the influences pressing in? Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all things. If you're seeking some assistance with where to read, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to joining Pastor Bill again next time right here on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word